Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back with you again today. How wonderful it is to be able to be here each day on this program and open up God's Word and study with all of our listeners. We're so thankful that you're there, that you want to learn more about God through His Word. And we know that many of you are listening on a regular basis daily, for many of you, or at least close to it. And others listen very frequently. You may not be able to listen every day because of your schedule or whatever, but you listen very often. And then there are others who listen regularly but less frequently because you don't have the opportunity. And then there are others who are listening for the very first time. We're thankful for every one of you. We're thankful if you're listening for the first time. We're thankful if you listen every day. And some of you may actually be listening in the Omaha area more than once a day because we're on several times in that area. And we're just thankful that you're there and that we're thankful that you want to learn God's word more fully. If you're listening for the first time, we hope and we pray that you'll become impressed that we do exactly as the name of the program suggests. We search the scriptures. We dig deep. We look at what God's word says in detail and in depth. And yet we try to explain it in a way that is clear and easy to understand and that makes sense for your daily lives. We want to help you come to a fuller knowledge of the Bible because that contains and communicates to us God's will for our lives. That gives us his guidelines as to how to live a faithful life before him. It is the roadmap that he has provided for us to get us to heaven. And so there is no more vital piece of information known to humanity than the Bible. None. And, you know, a testimony to that is the fact that the Bible is always, always, year in and year out, the best-selling book in this nation. Best-selling book. Now you say, wait a minute, well, I've seen the New York Times list of bestsellers. The Bible isn't on it. No, they just don't list it anymore. It's always number one, above everything else. That's how vital it is and how sought after it is and how widely distributed it is. Unfortunately, a whole lot of people who have a Bible, and they may even have more than one copy, yeah, don't read it very often. They don't read it very diligently. Well, in search the scriptures, we get into it, and we want to help you learn it in depth and in detail, more fully, and help you come to, by so doing, help you be able to make up your mind to come to God through Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in him as God's Son, your Lord and Savior, owning him, so to speak, as your Savior, and surrendering to him in baptism for the remission of your sins, and coming up out of that watery grave, reborn spiritually, and beginning to walk and equipped to do so, that new life in Christ. Our prayers are with you, and our prayers are for you. Now we're going to conclude this study that we have begun a few programs ago, entitled, A Christian Perspective on Anger. I know in our last program I said that we were going to finish that, this study in that program, but 
it's pretty rich material. And uh, I'm not going to apologize for not getting it done in that particular program because what we have ahead of us is, again, so important in this study. We have looked at the basic text as a springboard for this study in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Now really, going back to verse 18, James says, of his own will, that is God's own will, he brought us forth. Again, this is a Christian perspective on anger. So he's talking about bringing us forth by the word of truth. We're bringing us forth. There's that rebirth process or, or image, again, through Christ, through obeying the gospel, being baptized into Christ, being reborn spiritually. He brought us forth by the word of truth. God's word teaches us how to be reborn spiritually, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now that puts a lot of responsibility on us, being a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Then the next verse says, so then, and the sense of that is because of this fact, because of who we are, because of what we are as Christians, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And how true that is. Swift to hear, we need to listen. Slow to speak, we need to not be so quick to spill our guts, so to speak, and slow to wrath. And an underlying reason being, when we lose control in anger, when we lose control of ourselves, almost certainly we're not going to act godly in that state of loss of control. Well, we looked at a number of passages of Scripture and that get across this particular point or support it. The idea that we need to be careful about letting anger take us over, control us, even for a moment. We've talked about how we can become angry at all kinds of situations. Sometimes somebody says something to us that we consider to be provocative or that hurts our feelings, or maybe somebody does something to us that we consider, again, to, to be improper, and we lash out in anger. Or maybe it's just a situation that we find ourselves in that's outside of our control, but it makes us angry. Or maybe it's because we have made mistakes. Maybe we have not acted right or acted responsibly, and we get angry with ourselves, but we lash out at somebody else. And how many fights between spouses have taken place because the husband comes home angry at the boss, or the wife comes inside after she's been angry at the neighbor, and they lash out at each other, or they lash out at the kids who don't even know what was going on to begin with. You know, it's the old idea of, you know, you get mad at the cat, and you, or at the dog, rather, and you kick the cat. You kick the cat. The cat didn't even know what was going on, but you got mad at the dog, and that was, he provoked your anger, but he was too fast. He got away. Then you come walking a little further. Here's the cat, doesn't know what's going on. You kick the cat because you're mad at the dog. You can get to the cat, see. Well, you, you chuckle and you say, well, that's silly. A whole lot of what takes place in the heat of anger is silly. It is unnecessary. 
It is shameful. It should never happen. Again, we need to be that kind of first fruits. And we need to be the example to the world around us. We even need to be the example to that person whom we perceive to be provoking us to anger. We got that from Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Paul said there that, that we need to not respond in kind, but he says if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And then Paul concludes that particular text by saying, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We need to be the example. We need to demonstrate Christian character and responsibility in the face of what we might consider to be provocation. We need to disarm our enemies with self-control and prayer and kindness and even just a good example before them. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26, Paul gives us kind of just a, a quick instruction, point of instruction. And it's easy to read. It's more difficult to implement on a consistent basis. He says, be angry and do not sin. Well, maybe he's indicating just keep it to yourself. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Oh, now that's tough, isn't it? To, if we find ourselves provoked to anger, but we check it, we keep it under control, that's one thing. But now, sometimes that anger seethes within us, doesn't it? And it develops into wrath and maybe even hatred and and boy, we better check it in the early stages if we don't want it to get out of control. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. How many horrible, terrible actions would be avoided if we followed that particular instruction and we made it a point to never let ourselves be angry about any particular situation or at any one individual after the end of that day wherein we found ourselves provoked to anger. But we, we hold it, or rather we hold on to it a lot of times, don't we? And we let it build. We let it seethe, fester within us. And it's worse the next day, maybe. Maybe it's turned inward and it's become more bitter and more destructive potentially. Sometimes we see this kind of reaction in what we call pouting. And somebody who's in a relationship with somebody else and, and they feel like they've been wronged or they've gotten angry with someone or their feelings gotten hurt, well, they just pout for days on end sometimes, holding on to whatever that was that they took offense over. Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 21, and this is the third time we're looking in this particular chapter, and boy, it is so filled with tremendous material. 
This is the beginning of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. It goes through Matthew chapter 7. If you look in the early verses of this chapter there, that's the Beatitudes. And, and boy, just one point after another of guidance. And then you get into verses 13 through 16, where Paul, or rather, where Jesus tells us that we need to be seasoning salt. We need to be shining light. We need to let our light shine that others may see our good works, be that good influence in the world, in the culture, in the society around us, on individuals around us, and thereby bring glory to God. Now, in verses 21 and 22, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. We would say, Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, of course. Jesus goes on, though, and he says, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Recha, and that would be difficult to translate <laughs> literally, perhaps, or if maybe as effectively as we would like to in English, but it's calling somebody a terrible name, demeaning name shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, and that would be even worse than Reka, shall be in danger of hellfire. Hellfire. And this particular uh, term that is translated hell here from the Greek is Gehenna, and it's talking about that place of eternal condemnation and torments. Now look at the standard that Jesus lays out for us here. He doesn't say just, you know, you shall not murder. He says, no, no, no. To be my follower, you have to live by a higher standard. You don't even hate your brother. You don't, you need to be careful. You don't let, you're not angry with your brother to the point where you're out of control. You need to be that example of Christianity that you should be to the world around you and to your brother. In Psalm 37, beginning with verse 8, the psalmist writes, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Wow. We fret a lot, don't we? The next verse says, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. We need to stop and think about now, I'm provoked. I, my blood pressure's rising. I can feel my ears turning red. I'm ready to lash out. I'm ready to say some things. I'm ready to call some names. I may even be ready to swing some fists. Is that a Christian example? Is that what we are instructed to do and how we're instructed to react over and over and over and over again in God's word? What does this say again? What does the psalmist write? Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. We fret a whole lot and we end up letting that build anger within us. It's kind of like throwing gasoline on the fire. It's stoking the flames, so to speak. We're making it worse instead of better. And we need to turn away from that. We need to kind of cue in to situations or provocations that may be 
provoking us to anger, and we need to deal with those in a positive way. We need to, again, diffuse them. In James chapter 1, beginning with verse 3, James says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, let me tell you, the devil is going to test your faith if you're a Christian. He's going to throw stuff at you that's going to test your faith and your faithfulness, your Christian character. The testing of your faith, though, produces patience. If you will face that test in a positive way, if you won't let the anger or the provocation overcome you or take over your emotions and lose your self-control, the more you deal with those kinds of situations in a positive way, in a controlled way, the stronger you become in dealing with those kinds of situations. The stronger your character becomes. It develops more and more. James goes on and says, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Patience, patience. You know, one of the quickest ways to end an argument, can you think of it? Don't argue. He said, well, duh. No, I mean somebody is trying to argue with you. They're trying to provoke you. They're angry. They're trying to, to needle you, egg you on, get to you. Just don't argue back. It's impossible to argue with someone who will not argue with you. And eventually, and probably fairly quickly, that individual will give up out of frustration. James goes on and he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So, you want to be able to deal with a difficult situation with a difficult individual, pray about it. Pray for God's wisdom. Pray for God's guidance. Pray that God will help you remember to keep control in the face of whatever that provocation might be or when you're in the presence of that particular individual. Sometimes we cannot remove ourselves completely from a provocative individual. We may just find them around us in, in at times we, we cannot eliminate their presence at all in, in all cases maybe it's a family member maybe it's a neighbor maybe it's somebody we work with but ask for God's wisdom to help you know how to deal with that person to not let them provoke you to not let their provocation control you and then James goes on and says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So you need to pray, and you need to pray sincerely. Sincerely. Pray for patience. In James chapter 4 and verse 2, here's a, a point that we all need to grasp and remember. James says, you lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. How many blessings 
go unreceived because we do not ask for them. How many blessings perhaps of self-control do we, do, do we not receive when we really need them because we, instead of asking for God's wisdom and guidance and self-control, his peace and his calm, his patience, we just get provoked. We get into a situation or we go to face a situation instead of asking for God's presence to be with us and his strength, we just go and face it ourselves and continually fail miserably. You do not have because you do not ask. We need to learn the lesson. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, pray continually. Pray without ceasing, he says. Now, it's every day we need to be praying. We need to keep our prayer line open to God and humming all the time. In the fifth chapter and verse 16 in James, James goes on and he says, talking about prayer and the power of prayer, he says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Or another translation says, has great power in its effects. Now, it's not because we are powerful, but it's because of him to whom we're praying that prayer. And that's God. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So if you're having a problem with self-control, you need to pray to God about it. And not just once, you need to pray to God about it on an ongoing basis. In fact, that might be one of your Achilles heel temptations as I call them. It might be a weakness to which you are particularly vulnerable on an ongoing basis and you may, to be, may need to be praying about that and focusing on keeping it under control for the rest of your life. Now you'll get better and better at it as you go, but it may be one that you're going to have to deal with on a regular basis all the time, but pray to God about it. Pray to him for, for wisdom and guidance and self-control and patience and peace and calm. And sometimes you probably need, as you are able, to remove yourselves from that particular situation so that you will not be provoked, so that you won't be in that particular place or with that particular individual with whom you find yourself so difficult to get along or to not be provoked. Diffuse the explosiveness of wrath by dismantling the bomb of anger within you. Good words, wise words, and the principle comes right from God's word. Put it into practice in your life. In a moment, we'll tell you how to contact us and you can receive that free Bible study that we always offer. You can also receive a copy of today's program on CD. It's all free. We'll take care of the postage. We hope to hear from you right away.